Well, good morning, OneChurch.tv. How are you guys doing this morning? Is everybody awake in the house? All right, there's a few of y'all that's awake, not many. So glad to have you guys with us on our final week, week four of our How to Be a Hero series. And uh, if this is your first time here at One Church, I would encourage you, uh, you can go and download our app for free. You can go on iTunes, you can go on our website, listen. Uh, there's a lot of different ways that you can be able to interact uh, with uh, messages that we've done over the past 10 years. Uh, but this four-week series has been a really fun series for us because one of the things that uh, we've been talking about in this series is that we love watching heroes. We like watching stories about heroes. In fact, we are meeting where? Thank you. That, I mean, this isn't a, a, a trick question. We're meeting, in, okay. We're meeting in a movie theater where people literally spend literally hundreds of dollars, sometimes even thousands of dollars a year to go watch movies. And what is why we're drawn to those movies is because conflict happens. Have you ever watched a movie where there was no conflict? Uh, you haven't because nobody would make a movie like that. It would be a boring, boring movie. Um, but one of the things we're looking at is even though none of us like conflict, none of us like drama, um, but what makes a story good is the conflict, is the drama. And we've been talking about in this series that sometimes God is in the drama. Sometimes God is in the conflict because he is wanting to write a bigger and a better story with our life. And today, as we close, uh, we're just simply looking at uh, how are heroes created? How are heroes created? Um, and it usually happens this way. Somebody looks at a situation they're not very happy with, something at work goes wrong, something goes wrong in your family, something in your neighborhood, and you know it isn't right, uh, something it's just it doesn't really sit with you in your world or with your worldview, and there's a problem at school or there's a problem, uh, and everybody just stands around with their hands in their pockets, and they simply say this, somebody should do something. Somebody should do something. I mean, so many of us, we see the homeless people in our city, and we say, hey, somebody should do something. Uh, we see the injustice happening around us. Somebody should do something about that. Or somebody should do something about bullying. Somebody should do something about the way he treats his wife. Somebody should do something when you see wrong happen at work. Somebody should do something. But the reality is somebody should do something, but nobody does. Isn't that the way it goes? I mean, when you see a traffic accident... I mean, everybody gets out their phones, and they'll put it on Facebook Live. Hey, we need your help. We need you to uh, come over here and help. No, I don't want to get involved. I'm just going to post this to YouTube, and maybe it'll go viral. See, we want to see from a distance. We want to be apart from that drama. Somebody should do something, but nobody does. And if you think in your life right now that there are some situations that bug you, there's some, uh, there's some uh, things that you just, man, you're passionate about. Uh, there's this guy who's always just being difficult, and somebody should say something to him, but nobody does. There's a situation at work is not fair, and people are being exploited, and people are being hurt, and somebody should do something, but nobody does. In your neighborhood, there's that one neighbor. Everybody has that neighbor, right? Right? And if you don't have that neighbor, you just might be that neighbor. Okay? Somebody should say something, but nobody does. Edmund Burke once said this, All that is necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. 
Somebody should do something, but nobody does. You see the injustice? You see, you see it, you got it all figured out, but we refuse to act and we refuse to get involved. So today, I just want to spend the next three to four minutes, and I would like to be able to introduce you to a really good friend of mine uh, who uh, has chose to do something about something, and I want to introduce to you Mike Byer. So we can just give it up for Mike Byer. He's going to come down. Mike, if you want to sit here, you can sit over here by me. Here's your microphone, my friend. You do look good this morning. I didn't know you were going to have snacks. Uh, you want it? So, yeah, you ever played a chubby bunny? <laughs> no, not today. Not today. So, um, uh, Mike and I, we have known each other for years, um, for years. In fact, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Michelle came uh, to one church when we were meeting in the theater the first time, I believe, was it not? That's correct. You were downrange, you were deployed, yep. um, uh, so I didn't get to uh, meet Mike then, but Mike and I, we have been in multiple small groups. In fact, my favorite small group of all time we were in, and I love that small group. It was really fun. It was probably because you were in there. Uh, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> All right, so let me, uh, I'm going to ask Mike a, a couple of questions because uh, he has a long and distinguished military career. Um, but uh, uh, I remember when we were in small group together, you were having some health issues. And uh, you were frustrated because you couldn't really get any answers. You want to kind of talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, I had, uh, I'd come back from Afghanistan. Uh, and during that deployment, I, I started, you know, having some issues. That, uh, I kind of chalked it up to stress. I was having a, a tremor in my left hand. Um, when I came back from Afghanistan, things just got worse. And so, uh, going to the doctor, uh, numerous times, uh, man, they told me I had everything from Lou Gehrig's disease to mad cow disease and mad cow. Uh, really? Yeah. Mad cow, man. <laughs> Go figure. Uh, but eventually, um, I think it was, uh, March, 2011, uh, I was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Um, and so that's kind of where everything started. Yeah, it just uh, everything kind of went from there. And I, I remember because I was at the, well, I think I, I was with you at the doctor when you got the news. Yeah, yeah, you were. Um, and uh, and it just, I'm, I'm sure there was some relief because you were looking and trying to get answers. But still, when you're diagnosed with Parkinson's, that's a debilitating illness that you can't. I mean, it's only it only gets worse. You don't get better from, correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't want to misspeak, so because I'm not a doctor. So, uh, but in Christmas 2010, uh, something happened. You went home. Tell us about that. Yeah, I went home, and um, you know, I still had I had not received the diagnosis yet, um, but uh, my mom had this guitar sitting in the closet, uh, and it had been there ever since I was a kid. Nobody ever played it, and. Uh, you know, I thought, well, I've got time on my hands now. So I, I thought, I'm going to go home, and I'm, I'm going to take this guitar, and I'm going to learn how to play it. And, uh, you know, over the next six months, I, I, you know, I'm getting on YouTube. I mean, YouTube's amazing. You can learn anything on there. And, uh, you know, so I got on YouTube and, and started to learn how to, you know, play a few chords and, mm -hmm. and play some of the songs that I, you know, loved growing up. And, uh, you know, I noticed that it started to help me. Mm. Uh, not just mentally, but physically, mm. uh, you know, with the things I was experiencing at the time. Okay. So um, one of the things is you transitioned into, and you are first sergeant, right, in, in, right. in the Army. So uh, uh, you transitioned to the Warrior Transition Battalion, correct? And um, while you were there, you started something. You decided to get involved, to do something. What did you do? Well, I... You know, I loving. I, you know, I became addicted to the guitar. You know, before I knew it, it was like two in the morning, and I'm still trying to play the guitar. And and so I started to take it into my office at lunchtime, and 
and several of my soldiers, my squad leaders that worked for me, uh, you know, they realized that they played guitar, and, and so they would start to bring their guitars in at lunchtime, and, you know, we tried to impress each other with some new lick we learned or something. <laughs> you know, we, none of us were any good, you know, but uh, we just had a great time doing it. And uh, so at that point, I, you know, I said, man, if this, if this is helping me like it is, and if this is, you know, really improving the morale and the esprit de corps of the, of the unit here, this can help other soldiers as well. So uh, we started a program there in the battalion called uh, Sounds of Acoustic Recovery, or SOAR. Okay. Uh, and, and basically what we do is we teach veterans to play guitar uh, in an effort to, you know, battle PTSD, uh, veteran suicide, depression, anything. Uh, and you don't even have to experience any, any of those. If you're a veteran, uh, you know, that's our mission is to, you know, teach mm-hmm. you guitar and have fun with it. Yeah, absolutely. So. I know one of the things when you and I met earlier this week, uh, you said this, and this is a quote, and again, smack me if I, I mess it up. It's, you said, music saved my life. When I got out, I got out of the Army, I was in a very dark time. You build your identity around your rank of first sergeant, and now I'm able to help so many other people who's struggling. So tell, talk to us a little bit about once you got out of the military and that dark time and how this, in a lot of ways, helped you. Yeah. Um, you know, when I say it saved my life, uh, man, it, it, that's exactly right. Um, you know, like so many, so many soldiers, and I know there's other veterans out here you can identify to this, you know, you build your life around the military, and, uh, you know, you associate yourself with, with that. And, uh, you know, I was a first sergeant. That was who I was, you know, who, what I believed who I was. And, um, you know, so when, I, so when that was all taken away, you know, I had this identity crisis of who, who am I? And uh, I struggled with that for several years. Uh, you know, and God... I looked at all of this, and I looked at everything that was happening, especially at the time. You know, not only did I have Parkinson's disease, uh, but my daughter was going through some severe medical issues, and my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so trying to, uh, you know, obviously letting other things, negative things, influence me, uh, I finally stopped and just listened to God. And God said, he said, man, that's, you know, being a first sergeant, that's just, that's not who you were. That's, that's what you did you know, kind of a, a means to an end, uh, but who you are is my son. And, uh, you know, it took, me, it took me a long time to realize that. Um, you know, I was kind of ashamed even afterwards, after I, you know, because I, I put so much stock in, in something that's, you know, here today and gone tomorrow, and I failed to realize how important it was to just identify myself as God's son. Hmm. And so that's... Dude, kinda, that's awesome. Yeah. Can we give it up for Mike Byer? I love you, my friend. Thanks, man. <clears throat> you know, uh, I thought, uh, and, and he did cringe. I, you know, we're doing a, a series on how to be a hero, and uh, Mike will be the first to tell you, you know, he's not perfect, and he's not a, you know, he'd say, I'm not a hero, but I'm telling you, what we're talking about in our definition of a hero today is simply this. A hero acts when others should, but don't. A hero acts when others should, but don't. And see, the reality is, he did act. He could have wallowed. He could have just stayed exactly where he was at. But ultimately, at the end of the day, when everything was against him, and you heard, I remember one time, I think we were in Vanderbilt, and uh, uh, Miranda was in Vanderbilt in in one uh, section of the hospital. Michelle was in another section of the hospital. And, of course, Mike, who has Parkinson's, he's trying to take care of them both. I mean, for most of us, many our faith would have folded. 
but uh, it seems uh, um, God has used so many other things in Mike and Michelle's life just to be able to do some amazing things. And I love that, that a hero acts when others should, but don't. So I want to simply say, how are heroes created? So many people say that heroes are born. You're born a hero. And again, I would totally disagree with that. No one is born a hero. Uh, You're just born. But here's what you need to simply know this. The heroes see things differently. Heroes see things differently. So what I want to do in our time together today, uh, I want to help you see things differently. Because the reality is, everybody sees the problem. And it's easy to see the problem, isn't it? I mean, it really is. To say, oh yeah, that's that's easy to to do. Um, It takes no work, no involvement, and no getting out of your comfort zone. But this is the thing, that a hero sees not just a problem, but sees the opportunity. That when everybody else sees obstacles, a hero sees opportunity. The hero says, you know what, let's try it. And when everybody says, it's always been that way, it's never going to change, everybody sees the obstacles, and the hero says, no, I see an opportunity. You know, why don't we give it a shot? What what do we have to lose? Everybody says, no, the door is closed, and a hero says, you know what, I see a little tiny speck, uh, a a crack that I think we can be able to get through, and I'm not going to take it, not for my benefit, but the others, and it it may cost me something, it costs Mike something, Um, and uh, he gets involved regularly, and, and what's so cool is... Soar, and we had the website up on the screen, it's went farther and it keeps on going and it just keeps on, it's snowballing because, and Mike says, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. I'm going to do something about this. So today, uh, for the rest of our time together, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 17. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, if this is your first time with us today, and maybe you're not a a Christian, you're not a Bible person, uh, you have heard about today's story because today's story is about David and Goliath. All right, let me hear you if you've heard the story. All right, now, I have with me, I have a slingshot, all right? I have some rocks. I'm not going to do the rocks. I've not tried this, by the way, So, um, but I have a marshmallow. So uh, I'm going to see if I can maybe launch this back, right? So right here. Where'd it go? Did somebody catch it with their mouth? Yes, they did. All right, sweet. So what we're going to be looking at today is the story of David and Goliath. If you know the story, I'm just going to use this, okay? All of us know the story, but see, the reality is we're going to be looking at the person who should have done something about it, didn't do anything. But a David, the hero, he acted when anybody, anybody should have acted, but you know what? They didn't. And he said, I'm going to do something about it. Now, now we think of David and we're thinking he's this big, you know, 30-year-old dude. And David was probably a young teenager. He was 15, probably between 15 to 17 years old. And David had been anointed the next king of Israel. He was selected to be the next king, but there was a couple problems. Number one, nobody really knew who David was. He was just kind of this, this country boy. Nobody really knew him. I mean, and, and a bigger problem is simply this. There was a, another king in town. His name was Saul. 
And you can't become king until the other king uh, is no king anymore, right? So Saul was this king, but he wasn't a very good king at all. He wouldn't obey God. Uh, He disobeyed God on multiple occasions. And eventually, Saul falls out of favor with God. He was supposed to act differently, but he chose not to. So Saul's kingdom is in decline, and the nation of Israel is in some serious trouble because now there are other nations around them, enemies of the nation of Israel, and they are on their doorstep, and they want to pick a fight. And the big one that we talk about is the Philistines. And they had one thing going for them. They had the greatest, tallest warrior, a huge guy, a giant, by the name of Goliath. And this story is going to give us some insight into how heroism works and when David saw something that nobody else didn't see. So we're going to jump right into the story, and I want you to put yourself in David's shoes and his sandals, and I want you to see how he sees things that nobody else sees. This is starting in uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Um, the Philistines now mustered their army for battle and camped between Succa and Judah and Azekah at Ephes Damim. Got to be careful how I say that. We're going to move forward. Saul countered by gathering his Israelite troops near the valley of Elah. So the Philistines and the Israelites faced each other on opposite hills with the valley in between them. Now, if you're familiar with the story, if you're not careful, if you grew up in church, you're going to devolve into veggie tales. It's going to devolve into like a cartoon image of the story. But here's what you need to know. This really happened. In fact, um, the, the writer, uh, Samuel, who wrote the book of Samuel, gives us so much detail that we can actually pinpoint exactly where this happened. In fact, here is where it happened right here. Um, I've actually been here. This is the Elah Valley and Azekah Ariel from the south. It says on here, there's Ephes Demim right here. There's Azekah. And then where this line is, that squiggly line, that's where the valley is at. And there was a little creek that we're going to talk about uh, here in a minute because there's some stones that somebody's going to pick up some stuff in this little creek. So this picture, this really happened. This isn't just some story that we tell, you know, two-year-olds or four-year-olds. In fact, if you're telling your four-year-old this story, you're probably going to need to do the PG version, maybe the G-rated version because there's some R-rated stuff in here that I'm looking forward to sharing with you today. All right, verse 4. Then Goliath, a Philistine champion from Gath, came out of the Philistine ranks to face the forces of who? Israel. And how tall was the dude? Nine feet tall. Now, uh, I am five foot eleven uh, and a half. I, I, that's where I was like in 18. I'm thinking I'm like 5'11 now because I'm shrinking because gravity loves me so much. Um, that was a joke. Nobody laughed. We're moving on. Uh, I am five foot 11. I've never dunked a basketball. Think about this. This guy, all Goliath would have to do, he would not have to jump to dunk the basketball. He, I mean, a, 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 a uh, it's 10 feet tall is a basketball goal. He would just have to literally put his arm up and there you go. I mean, that is really tall. This is NBA stuff, and he's not some string bean. It's like he's been to the gym every day. In fact, this guy was a gym. He ate the barbells, right? So this is what it says, verse 5. He wore a bronze helmet, and his bronze coat of mail weighed how much? 125 pounds. Now, he's wearing the weight of another human being on him, 
right? That's interesting. Now, he wore a bronze helmet, a coat of mail, weighed 125 pounds. He also wore bronze leg for armor, and he carried a bronze javelin on his shoulder. The shaft of his spear was as heavy and as thick as a weaver's beam. That's big. It's probably about 12 by 12, tipped with an iron spearhead that weighed how much? 15 pounds. That's just the tip. His armor bearer walked ahead of him carrying his shield. I mean, can you imagine this joker? He's like, I don't know how big the shield was, but so this guy is intimidating. You run into him, he is a WMD, a weapon of mass destruction. So Goliath stood and shouted to taunt the Israelites. Why are you coming out to fight, he says? I am the Philistine, what? Champion, but you are only the servants of who? Saul. Now that's King Saul. And remember, Saul's kingdom is down in, 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 in to the left. I mean, it's in decline. The leader of Israel, the king, he should have been the one who came out and wanted to fight Goliath. In fact, let me tell you a little bit about my boy Saul. Saul, the reason why he became king is because they kind of put all the guys together and Saul stood head and shoulders above any other guy. He was a big dude. He wasn't a giant, but he was head and shoulders above any and everyone else. So the person who should be fighting Goliath is Saul. But what you need to understand is Saul has a little bit of in him. All right? Saul isn't willing to act. Remember. Remember the definition of a hero? A hero acts when others should, but don't. And Saul doesn't act. And everybody else just follows his lead. Because everything rises or falls on leadership. And Goliath continues taunting. Choose one man, Goliath says, to come down here and to fight me. If he kills me, then I will be your slaves. But if I kill him, you will be our slaves. So let's settle this. Let's don't go army to army. Let's don't have like thousands of people die. Let's just get your best and my best. And then whoever wins, bada boom, bada bing. In other words, this is what he says. I defy the armies of Israel today. Send me a man who will fight me. In other words, Goliath says, man up, peeps. Who's really in? You talk a great game, back it up. When Saul and the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. Why? For 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine champion strutted in front of the Israelite army. Now, we're going to jump ahead of the story because now we're going to be introduced to David. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. So David, we're going to see, he's kind of late to the game. He's not part of the regular army. He has a job at home. Um, he's got bigger family, older brothers and sisters, but we're going to learn here in a minute that David, his job at home, he's the youngest, was to be able to watch the sheep to make sure they didn't run off. Now, as he was talking to them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks, which he did twice a day. Then David heard about him shout his usual taunts to the armies of Israel. I guess Goliath had four or five put-downs. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to do what? How did they respond? Run away in fright. So Goliath is coming out, and what is he going to say today? And he starts taunting them again. A hero acts when others should, but don't. And no one is acting here. The king of Israel, King Saul, he isn't acting. And Saul's men, the army, they're not acting either. Now, look at this. 
Have you seen the giant? The men ask, and they, they're talking to David about this. He comes out each day to defy Israel. And then look at David's response. Everybody's terrified, but here's what David says. David asks the soldier standing nearby, who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? David asks the question, who is this joker? Come on, guys. You guys are grown-ups. You guys you have, guys have weapons. Why are you allowing him to do this? Because well, we're not just an army. We're the armies of the living God. A hero see things differently, don't they? David is seeing things differently. He's not seeing an obstacle. He's seeing a what? An opportunity. Now, it says this in verse 30 and 31. He walked over to some of the others, David did, and asked them the same thing and received the same answer. Who is this guy? Who is this guy? Then David's question was reported to who? King Saul, and then Saul sent for him. Because David is going around asking, hey, who is this jack-legged dude? Who is this little pygmy? Uh, I mean, he can't get anywhere kind of with his family, this or that. So David is brought to King Saul. David is ready to act. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go and fight him. I'll go, I'll, I'll go and fight him. His voice was probably cracking. Who knows whether or not David went through puberty or not. I'll, I'll, I'll go and fight him. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way that you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're only a boy. You see, I know, you're a girl. Some of you are like, I'm a preacher, I'm a girl. Okay, that's fine. But he said, you're only this. Has anybody ever said that to you? You're only that. You're only this. Who do you think you are? You're only a boy. And look at the contrast. You're only a boy, and he's been a man of war since his youth. When you were in diapers, he was out killing people. His business was killing, and business was good. Anybody remember Major Payne? Keep on going. But David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. And then, so David's like telling King Saul, hey, let me give you my resume. Let me give you my LinkedIn profile. All right, uh, sheep, goats, been taken care of them, right? And then he continues, when a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I will go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from where? Its mouth. Now, that, now things are getting a little impressive now, right? I mean, when was the last time you fought a lion or a bear? Like, never, Right? If you're going to be close to a lion or a bear, you better have some plexiglass or something in front of you. You better be at a zoo, right? But this kid, 15, 16, 17 years old, David says, I will go after it with a club. I've got the little stuff going on here, and I've been looking after the sheep, but i got put in charge of the sheep. You need to know that. And those are my father's sheep, and I'm going to take care of them. And I'm going to be as responsible as I can. So David is responsible in the smaller responsibilities, which means when it comes to bigger things, he's going to be responsible with those as well. And then look at this. If the animal turns on me, I will catch it where? Y'all ain't awake this morning. Y'all are going to catch this animal where? By the jaw. (laughs) And club it to death. Now, I don't know about you. Um, if you if I'm around a wild bear or a lion, I'm gonna be trying to avoid those jaws at all costs, right? I mean, I'm gonna. I, 
here's what I know. I'm probably not going to run away because if I'm with you, you're going to outrun me, right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to take your knee out. Um, so, and then I'm good, right? Uh, anyway, move on. Uh, I have done this to both lions and bears, maybe even some tigers, oh my. And now I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too. But look at what made him different. For he has, look at this, defied, not you guys, uh, n- not just Israel, not King Saul. He's, y'all aren't that impressive. But he's defied the armies of the what? Living God. Do you understand what he's done, David's asking? And then David connects the dots and puts it together for him. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Why is David so confident? Well, what you need to understand is he, David is seeing things differently because a hero sees things differently. David didn't see a nine-foot giant of an enemy. Davis, David was so focused on the unfathomable, huge, amazing, big God, and he had spent so much time in solitude around his sheep, praying to God and talking to God and writing songs about God. He had spent, God had gotten so big in his eyes that Goliath, Goliath looked like some pygmy. He looks, looked like some little two-foot little shrimp. So Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. He said, and may the Lord be with you. That means you're going to need it. The Lord needs to be with you. And by the way, you get ready to meet the Lord really soon. Right? Then Saul gave his own armor, a bronze helmet, and a coat of mail. So Saul's like, I got some armor I'm not using. Let me just give it to you. You know, I'm the king. And by the way, the, the, I mean, they didn't have a lot of iron and stuff like that. So Saul probably had one of the only iron swords around. So David puts it on, straps a sword over it, and he took a step or two to see what was like. For he had never worn such things before. Some of you, you're military. You know, you never go into a firefight with something that hasn't been tested, right? So he kind of puts it on. He's like, okay, how do I do this? Is it on backwards? I mean, somebody help me out this. And he simply says, I can't go in these. He protested to Saul. I am not used to them. So David took them off again. He picked up how many? Five smooth stones from a stream and put them in his shepherd's bag. Now, here's what. I have been to Israel. I've been to Azekah. I've been to the Valley of Elah. In fact, in my possession, these are actually five smooth stones that I picked out from the creek where David picked out his five smooth stones. Now, you would think a stone really wouldn't be that much of a thing, but here's what you need to know need to understand, is uh, I can't remember, the, and I meant to show you a clip of this. You know in uh, Major League Baseball when the guy was throwing the pitch and it hit the bird? Okay, who, who am I thinking of that? Thank you, Randy Johnson. And he, he throws the pitch and a bird flies in and the bird, what happens to the bird? It explodes, right? Because when a bird gets hit with the baseball going 100 120 miles an hour, the bird is no more. And that's exactly what they would do, a trained shepherd. They would put this rock in this sling, and they would swing it around, and they would get so much centrifugal force, and they would let it go. And it could go as fast as a baseball. And these are smaller stones. They were, these stones were probably about the size of a baseball. So you imagine getting hit, 
with a stone going 125 miles an hour. That's a little bit of ouch. And some people say, well, why do you get five small, you know, why do you get five stones? We don't know the reason why. Some people say, well, because Goliath had four other brothers. The text doesn't tell us any of that. But really the point isn't about how many stones or anything. The point is that David got up and did something. David acted. He did something. He picked something up. And everybody else is standing there with their hands in their pockets going, run away, run away. And he's like, nah, not go run. I'm going to go into battle. I'm going to run into battle. And he bends down and he picks up these stones. He took a step. He did something. Why? Because heroes act when others should, but what? Don't. Look at this, verse 40. Then the armed only with a shepherd's staff and a sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistines. So David, he starts moving. Everybody else is running away from the drama, and he is running towards the drama. Goliath walked out to, towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Ruddy face. That means he had a red face. Some of you, you probably got... How many, if, let me hear if you have red hair. One person. All right. David probably had red hair. He, he was just very red all over. So, um, so you would be in good, uh, in good cahoots with David. Lord Jesus. All right. I've been taunting you for over a month that finally you get somebody with enough courage to do something and to come out and fight me, and now you give me a little boy? I mean, come on. What are you thinking? Look what he says. Am I a dog, Goliath says, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? I mean, your weapons are so much inferior to my sword, spear, and javelin. And then he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here, Goliath says, because he's pretty good intimidation, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and wild animals, Goliath yelled. Now, think about this. If you were David, how are you feeling at this point? You don't know how this is going to end. You're 15 years old. <coughs> he's really tall. You're not. He's swearing like a sailor, and you know, oh, shucks. I mean, you don't know anything, right? I mean, he is, he's been a warrior since birth. You're not. He has these metal, all the armor, all the metal swords. You've got nothing like that. How are you feeling if you're David? David replies to the Philistine, you come at me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So you got stuff that people can see. But I got some stuff that people can't see. He says this, Today, the Lord will conquer you. He's saying this, I'm going to be involved in this, but it's not going to be about me. And I will kill you, and I'm going to cut off your head. You see, we, we leave this out when we read this to our two-year-olds. Right? And that's exactly what happens. I mean, we're going to see what happens in a minute, but he goes and, like, gets a sword and cuts off the dude's head and then hangs it up. Blood's dripping. It's like, ah, right? So if we were a guy in here, you'd go, huh, that's me. I want to see that. And all the girls are going, all right, keep on going. And I'm going to give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know not that David is great, but there is a God. Let me hear you say it with me. A God in Israel. Isn't that something? 
You see, maybe the reason why conflict has come in your life, maybe the reason why drama has come in your life is because God wants to show some people around you that there's a God in Clarksville, that there's a God in your life whom you worship. And some of you, you're facing some nasty giants right now, some nine-foot-tall problems. And you've been praying, God, please, I don't want this problem. I don't want this problem. I don't want this problem. And God's going to know, I set this problem up for you so that you can beat this problem down. Y'all hear what I'm preaching today. Nobody's with me this morning. See, the reason why you got some junk in your life, some nasty giants in your life, is because God is setting you up to make his name look great. Man, y'all ain't with me this morning. Anyway. Verse 47, and everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and not with spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And as Goliath moved closer to the attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. I want to show you a quick video of what this might have looked like, and then we're going to finish. Here it goes. To secure the promised land. The Israelites must defeat the Philistines. But King Saul has lost God's blessing. And now he faces the Philistines' greatest champion, Goliath. people. I'll do it. David, you're no soldier, you're a shepherd. Yes, a shepherd. As I protect my sheep, God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. Here though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death. I fear no evil. You are with me. Thy rod and staff. They comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life.
waste my time, little boy. You're too young to die. I will fight you! So let me ask the question. We just saw that. We read the scripture. When risk involved, when drama is involved, the question is, why do you and I usually cower? Why do we usually why are we usually afraid? And I and I have two answers for that. Number one, many times we the reason why we cower is because we don't act, we, we won't act because you and I want assurance of the outcome. We're like, okay, God, okay, listen. First, you got to tell me, uh, well, these stones, are these going to work? Because if they work and you tell me they're going to work, then I'll do it. Lord, give me a sign. Like, we pray all kinds of strange, give me a sign and give me a dream. Give me, give me, give me, give me. And I want assurance of the outcome. But let me tell God, if this costs me money, if this costs me time, uh, what if I get hurt? What if I get injured? Uh, what if it gets uncomfortable? I want to know how things are going to work out before... I take a step. Now, here's the problem. Every time you read the Bible, normally what happens, God doesn't give us any assurance about the outcome. He's not interesting in letting you know, Chris, if you do this, it's going to work. Uh, it's going to work great. He's not interested in giving me kind of the heads up ahead of time that everything's going to be fine at the end. Let me tell you, God doesn't give us assurance about his outcome, but what he does give us is his presence. God says, I'm going to be with you. Chris, I, I am, I, I'm, what I'm telling you and what I'm calling you to do is that I will be with you. You may face some dark times. You may go through the valley of the shadow of death, but I am right there alongside of you. I know you don't know how it's going to turn out, but if you obey me, I've got this. And it doesn't matter how large Goliath is. It doesn't matter if he has a 125-pound chain mail. It doesn't matter if he has somebody carrying a shield. It doesn't matter if he has a 15-pound spearhead. It doesn't matter if he has a metal sword. If you want assurance of the outcome, I got it. You're not going to get it. But what I am going to assure you is that I'm going to be with you. Some of you, that's exactly what you need to hear today. You may be facing some really difficult giants in your life. We heard Mike earlier. I mean, the giant uh, of, of Parkinson's disease, the giant of cancer. And yet, God allowed them to go through that, but God's presence was with, was with them every single time. So, the same God who's with me in the small moments will be with me in the big moments. Just as David says, God was with me when I was out there and I was doing the whole uh, rescuing the animals and rescuing the sheep and beating the clubs and the bears and the lions, the same God that was with me there is going to be with me now. And the second one, is, our clue is simply this, is that God's faithfulness in the past is a promise of his faithfulness in the future and in our present. So, as I close, how are we supposed to apply this? 
Well, let me apply it this way, and I'm going to ask you a question. What is bothering what is bothering you right now? When you came in here this past week, what are some of the things that bothered you that you're like, man, somebody should do something? I mean, so, I mean, you know something's bothering you. Something's bothering you in your family. Something's bothering you in your work. Something's bothering you at your school. Something's bothering you in your neighborhood. Something's bothering you inside, and, you, and you're like, man, somebody should do something. The second question is simply this. What could you do that somebody should do by doing something about? What could you do that somebody should be doing something about? What could you do? Some of you are like, well, but I'm just a fill-in-the-blank. No, no, no. You need to simply understand this. God is with you. His presence is with you. So if you're not clear on what to do, three things. Who needs your help this next week? Who needs your help? I'm just going to just give some time to that. Is God bringing a person to your mind who needs help? If you have that person in your mind right now, the face of that person, Maybe that's something you need to do. Somebody should do something to help that guy. No, 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 no. You are somebody. Another question. What needs our attention? What needs our attention? What's some things that, man, if you don't do something about it, things are going to go off the rails? Well, somebody should do something. Well, you somebody. Third, what needs to be done? What needs to be done? Chances are, some of you already know, and it it might not be like a a class or homeless people or maybe starting an entire music program like Mike did. It may be your cousin. It may be your brother. It may be your mom, your dad, your child. Maybe somebody in your school or maybe in somebody of your children's school. Who needs help? What could you do? A hero acts when others should but don't. So my challenge is to act. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, so many times when we read stories of heroes of the Bible, we make it all just nice and shellacked and everything just looks good and they're just perfect. And Lord, the reality is that they weren't. David was just a kid. He was just a boy. He didn't have the resources. He didn't have the upbringing. He didn't have the title. He didn't have the authority. He didn't have the training. But Lord, what he did have was your presence. And another thing he had is he saw something differently and he acted when no one else did. God, I pray, I challenge every church person in here, every person, maybe you're not even a church person, you're just here this morning. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What is, what is something that's bothering you so much that you need to get up off the sidelines, you need to get out of your seat right now, and you need to run and say, I can do something about that. I can do that. God, I pray that you would challenge us to get up and act to do something to be the hero. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray.